Hi, everybody. How are you doing? Uh, making sure that's not on. It is the 20th of January, 2022. My name is Luke Thomas. This is episode 101, the old binary code, well, one and zero anyway, of uh, my live chat. We'll talk about UFC 270, which will be in just a matter of days at this point, 48 hours approximately. We'll talk about whatever's on your mind in the world of whatever. Best place to do that, of course, is going to be at uh, the comments, or I should say that you leave a comment on the community thread that I post every Wednesday. Everybody knows about that. So I will look at those and we'll get to them. If you would like to leave a question that you uh, pay to get answered at the end, you certainly are under zero obligation to do that. But if you'd like to, you may. We'll get to those at the end after about an hour or so. Thumbs up on the video if you are watching on YouTube. Hit subscribe on the video if you are watching on YouTube. If you are listening on the audio platforms, I say this on MK, I will, I will repeat it here. Give me a nice review. Although I don't really care so much about that uh, here uh, as opposed to MK. All right. Without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? And we're back. Okay. Hope everyone's doing well. It is uh, Thursday. Tomorrow, that means it is Friday. That means um, <laughs> the day after that will be Saturday. No, I don't mean that. I mean to say we're pretty close to the weekend, pretty close to the big fights. The fight card itself, not that great. Uh, pretty bad, actually. But the uh, main and then the co-main are obviously pretty great. And there's a couple of other gems along the way. So we can get to that if you want. But without further ado, let me pull up your questions. Okay. Let's do it. First one. Hey Luke, shouting stop multiple times when a fight is over should be made mandatory for all referees in the UFC. The only referee I see doing this consistently is Mark Smith. This rule could potentially help fighters avoid taking unnecessary extra shots when the referee is on the other side of the cage. At the time of a knockout, waiting till the fighter gets pulled off of his opponent by the ref allows for needless damage to be done. What are your thoughts? I, I, I would be speaking out of turn if I said I knew there was a rule about what the parameters were around verbal communication. However, you're a little bit off on a couple of things I would humbly submit. So the first thing I would say is, I don't really want a scenario where my referee is on the other side of the cage and has to yell to the fighters to stop. That seems like a very inefficient way of doing things. I know what your point is, like, oh, yeah, but it should, I mean, that's, it should free the referee up to, you know doesn't have to be right on top of them. I understand the point. It's a fair concern, but I, it, it, to me, it's a solution in search of a problem. The reality is this. The referee needs to be on top of them. He needs to physically separate them for a lot of important reasons. To protect the fighter, obviously, underneath. The fighter on top could be running on adrenaline and just not hear the verbal commands. You know, uh, there's a very important reason why physically either indicating through a signal or like literally like a bouncer intervening, why that needs to happen, right? So, th so that is non-negotiable to me. I mean, again, there's gonna be best practices around that, but like should a referee, and, and is it a good idea that a referee um, physically intervene to stop fights uh, when called for? You know, where there is a, obviously if the guy doesn't even throw, you don't necessarily need to, but you get the idea. So yes, I would say uh, first to that. Um, 
I don't think that creating like a safe word or something like stop, I'm not sure that's exactly what you're describing, but you know, some kind of word that indicates clearly what the referee's desires are. To me, that is in a, a, a very, I just wouldn't want fights adjudicated that way. What I can agree to though, what I can agree to is sometimes I'll see referees intervene and not even say anything or not say a whole lot or not saying a whole lot doesn't bother me, but I've seen it where they're just kind of quiet. They just kind of step in. I agree that my preferred situations are ones where you hear the referee clearly indicate it's over, stop, um, that's it, and also physically intervene with clear intent the entire time, right? You don't want a referee being like, I don't know what decision is. I'm going to make a decision. I've, I've seen what I need to see. I'm going to call it, blah, blah, blah. I want to hear a verbal component, and I want to see a physical component married. I think that's the best that's the best kind of solution. But like, dude, if you're a referee and a fight gets, one guy knocks the other guy out and you're across the cage, like you already fucked up. The fact that you can yell to them in a perfect world to get them to stop is sort of beside the point, right? Oh, here's an interesting one. Okay. As a response to your recent Amanda Nunez loss call out I think you mean more like prediction it wasn't a full prediction but like you know sort of spidey sense if you think about the most seemingly unable to lose and you put that in quotations as well MMA champions in history so let's say Fedor, Ronda right people out at their peaks anyway obviously all of them have losses what are some common predictors leading up to their eventual loss and how can you apply this logic to the current unable to lose champs so that would be Valentina, John Jones, and again, he's put unable to lose in quotations. Obviously, anybody can lose. But these are the people that are so far advanced. What prospects style would have to rise to defeat some of these current champs? Okay, this is a great question. I really like this question. Very good job. All right, what are some common predictors leading up to the eventual loss of these people who you just could never imagine losing? Ronda prior to the Holly Holm fight, Fedor prior to the Verdum fight. Um, I guess you could say Aldo prior to the McGregor fight, but still. Um, any of those, right? What would be the thing that you could have looked at ahead of time to say, ah, aha, we could have seen this coming? The answer is sometimes you just can't. Like, I'd be just absolutely lying to you if in all of these cases. I, I mean, the, the, for example, like Verdum. The Ronda one, she was acting weird during fight week, and she had this fake kind of like beef with Ron, uh, with uh, Holly out of nowhere, and she just seemed off. Plus, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, you're like, oh right, the fact that she could clinch break and uh, was a much better boxer slash kickboxer on the feet was really kind of important in retrospect, right? They, you know, the, the, obviously, those kinds of things, you know, and, and some people point to that ahead of time, but at a bare minimum, just her body language was off. You see a lot of people who don't know anything about fighting, and again, not like I'm some fucking genius, but I mean, know nothing about it. Like, they're fans, but they don't know shit about it. They really get into, like, the specifics of what someone said at a presser or how they looked. And, you know, people like me, mistakenly often clown them for that because I'm always like, yeah, I mean, your only reason you're pointing to that is because that's the only shit you know. You don't know any of this shit. Um, 
But the reality is that will trip you up. Like fighters live and die in their own minds. And you want to be very careful about what you think you see at pressers or weigh-ins or whatever. Fair enough. Like you don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. But it ends up holding a little bit more significance than I used to arrogantly assume otherwise. I, that was a learning lesson for me. Anyway, so that is one thing you could pay attention to. Is their demeanor normal relative to how they normally act? And that can be hard to predict, certainly. But... It's something you want to pay attention to. That would be one. The other one, though, the re- the one I got with Amanda, uh, I don't I don't think this mathematically makes sense actually, but it just sort of it feels like a helpful way to examine these situations, even if from a probability standpoint, this is not quite true. Um, when you see someone do a high wire act. Like what Demetrius Johnson did, right? Where he's beating all of these people. You know, what were some of his toughest fights? Like, for example, for example, what was his toughest fight or tougher fight? Was it the Horaguchi fight that Demetrius Johnson had or was it the Tim Elliott fight? I would submit to you Tim Elliott gave him a much bigger problem. Now, Tim's a, a bigger guy, so there was a lot, a lot for him to overcome in that sense. He's much more of a bantamweight than a flyweight. He can make flyweight, obviously, but... um. You know, and you're like, well, shit, this guy is like having a hard time with a guy you did not necessarily predict as being the guy who would have a hard time with another situation. Granted, it was late replacement, but, you know, a situation where like John Jones fought OSP. And I know that's a complicated situation because Daniel Cormier has indicated that he believes it's a time when John was getting clean and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I don't know, but it's sort of a pointing out or, or yeah, other ones, uh, not so much the Anthony Smith fight. John did really well in that one, but like the, the Tiago Santos fight or whatever, or even the Dominic... Reyes fight like with with Dominic Reyes did you see Dominic Reyes taking I thought Dominic took three clear rounds from him but at a bare minimum the first two you know did anyone who before that fight was like he was gonna go there and just fucking outbox him and they just kind of crash at the last I mean there's a lot of times and and I know that John won that fight but I'm just pointing out like dude when you do something where you're just constantly absorbing the best that a promoter can throw at you you know, you're going to shine for long periods, but A, there's going to be periods where even in a win where someone pointed at something and a lot of times people want to overlook it. Like when Fujita rocked Fedor, like Fedor had windy punches and he was sort of a bully. Like if you could back him up and force him behind linear punches uh, behind a jab, I think there's actually a lot of reasons. You know, he obviously had a speed advantage over a lot of these guys, but just pointing out like, you know, he was able to get hit with something because he had these windy punches standing in front of a guy Fujita clipped him, nearly stomped him. Like, that was a thing that other guys were also going to be able to take advantage of down the line, and that proved true. It wasn't like Fujita was able to ultimately take advantage of it, but, like, again, it wasn't that Fujita was the guy. It's just that when you're constantly taking on challenges, MMA is inherently extremely chaotic. You have to control for a lot of variables, and someone can control for those variables for long periods of time if they're super special, but, dude, that comes to an end, you know... Uh, not merely in, uh, inevitably, but um, but viciously, because dude, like they're I mean, just sort of think of it as like one of these. You ever seen one of these um, these these uh, Chinese circus performers, right? Well, I think it's a tradition in the Chinese Chinese circus where they spin these plates on these like sticks. You know, it's just an incredible feat, and they'll and they'll do like fucking thirty of them. But imagine they have to double even that. Like it's going to it's going to come apart. Like or or even Cirque du Soleil if they have enough shows. You know, was it the show in New York where somebody missed the assignment and the whole thing got botched? No, it was probably in fucking Albuquerque or something. But inevitably, it will it will come to pass. It just, you get enough of these reps, people think it's that special one that might take it from them. And of course, many times it can be. But for someone who is this 
greater than life figure in these divisions, what you really end up seeing is it's just it's it's just the act of doing it that ultimately comes apart. Not so much because the, but everything that goes into being what they are and winning in the way that they're winning, it just requires uh, the control of a lot of variables, and and that can only be sustained for a short period of time. When I say short, I mean you know relatively speaking. But you know you 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 win twelve fights in a row over like four or five years. Um, that's obviously that's a longer period of time, but in the course of of well, I guess even it's not like baseball where you have 170 plus games a season, but um, the special ones can extend it to several years, and that obviously is a long period of time. But even then, man, like that, these 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 bursts of inspiration they can have. So what, what, my whole point being is the reason why I got the the spider sense. Not that I predicted it; I did not. I thought that um, ultimately. Uh, Amanda would get her hand raised, but the thing that gave me like the mm, feeling about it was, you've beaten everybody that in your peers that everyone else and people like me said that mattered. Uh, you're doing it across two divisions. Everyone is just heaping praise on you left and right. Everywhere you go, people want your autographs. If you're Amanda Nunes, you've never been more popular than you are right now. You've got a shitload of money in the bank, at least relatively speaking. You've got a wife. You now have a child. You are a celebrated figure in every sense of the word. Like, dude, that will make managing all of the variables in training and execution of a prize-fighting career very difficult to keep on steady. It's too hard. It's too hard. It's too hard to manage all of that. And so people keep thinking it's easy to manage that, but for a special fighter changing the equation. And my response is, not really. Yeah, yes, you can get a special fighter who comes along and they can do it. But oftentimes, that's not the case. Oftentimes, when you get these really good champions, what ends up happening is it's just that turn of the page. The straw that broke the camel's back more than anything else, right? That seems counterintuitive, but it has happened often enough where you're like, oh, right, right. So in the case of like Ronda and um, Fedor, I mean, he was already popular before. It's a little bit different with him. But in the case of like Ronda and I would say in the case of Amanda, you know, when did the downfall happen, dude? At their at their seeming peaks. When I mean, the the discussion around Ronda got cr totally off the rails. Like she could beat all the guys and blah blah blah. You know, that sort of a thing. Um, and all of us, or many of us, were subject to some of that hyperbole. I, I would say I probably had some hyperbole myself along the way. But anyway, you get the idea. It's much more of a straw that broke the camel's back situation versus. You know, it's not like this accident, like, oh, a pandemic happens once every hundred years. It seems like sort of random. Um, it's not a grand event that switches it necessarily. It's straw that breaks the camel's back. All right. Um, how does the process work for you when it comes to buying the pay-per-view events as a member of the media? Do you expense the events? to Showtime and you have to record them somehow. I've always wondered. It's it's changed significantly over the year. There was a brief window at Vox. God, I want to say, when was this? 2010 or so, something like that. When the UFC had a streaming deal with Yahoo. And then Yahoo gave media members like us access to all of their pay-per-views for free. This only lasted like six or seven pay-per-views. This did not last a very long time. So there was stuff like that. Uh, right now, the way it works is I just expense it. I buy it, and then I fill out an expense report, and then it ultimately just shows up in my paycheck. 
at some point down the line. Um, not for everything. Like, I think if I'm, you know, if I was assigned, for example, to cover UFC 270, you'd get reimbursed. If I just happened to buy, I'll make something up. Let's say there was a rough and rowdy this weekend that I also watched, which I realize is not professional fighting, but, you know, something like that. Or even BKFC. They probably wouldn't reimburse that. But, you know, if it's a UFC or something like that. Uh, if it's Showtime, Showtime will reimburse me. That sort of a thing. But, by the way, not every company does this. You should know that. There's a lot of companies that don't do that. There's a lot of companies that are just like, figure it out. Swear to God. In fact, I would argue most companies are probably... I, I think... I think... I don't know how Vox is anymore. But for a while, that's the way it was. Just like, figure it out. You know, They don't explicitly tell you, like, go pirate things. But they're not paying for your fucking pay-per-views. Uh, oh, I've always wondered how you watched Max versus Volkanovski 49 times. Well, the answer there is that I use um, a screen recorder. And um, I record, I'll play it through and then record it. Then I upload it to my Google Drive. And then I download it on all my various computers so then I can begin to look at the footage and then make some determinations about what happened. Look, I've enjoyed listening to your views on PED use in sports. I'm curious whether these views extend to supposedly unfair advancements in sporting kit. For example, the swimsuits that are now banned and Nike's recent running shoes, which got a lot of attention. If not, why not? Is there a sport and piece of equipment in the sport which you think, if taken too far, could give too much of an advantage or should it all be fair game? Uh, it should all be fair game to an extent, right? Uh, which is to say this. What he is talking about is something that's not called doping. It's called mechanical doping. Mechanical doping. Let me give you an example. Um, let's say you were a cyclist. You did not take any steroids. You didn't take any peptides, any SARMs. You put nothing in your body other than every single thing USADA or whatever country you're from would approve of, right? So you're clean as a whistle in that sense. But it turns out you have figured out a very ingenious way of keeping your bike very light and yet putting some kind of electric motor in there that can't be detected. Right, so now you're getting the benefit of an electric motor that is helping you through these climbs and everything else, whatever. That is called mechanical doping, and it happens all the time. There are many versions of mechanical doping. Another one, some of them are um, intentional. Right, a cyclist finds a way to put a electric motor in their in their bike. Uh, other ones are accidental or even exploratory. So Speedo, for example, I think it was a year before some Italian world, it was in Italy, but it was like a world championships. And Speedo had made these suits where the suit was, I mean, you think about it, you're like, oh, how fast does skin move through water? Well, however fast it is, it's probably not going to be true that skin is the best surface for speed of move and movement underwater, right? Something can probably move cleaner through H2O. So Speedo invented these suits where, sure enough, dude, their numbers were off the fucking charts. They they had broken all kinds of records across the, the women's and the men's divisions. Now, in fairness, everyone was wearing them, but it was sort of this, this absurd thing where they had to throw out all the old benchmarks because people were wearing these new suits and it was changing the game. So that, that, that suit got outlawed um, and, you know, whatever. The, the shoe you're talking about, see, things are a little bit different now. There obviously is a movement of marathon runners that don't want people with those shoes on at all. I forget what they're called, and I can't quite explain the technology, but it basically works like this. It's got like this carbon fiber in the middle, and so what they're trying to do is 
when you land on with your foot during in the course of your gait, you're you, often what times is you're you're just driving energy into the concrete, and you know there is obviously some resistance because it's concrete. There is going to be some level of pushback, but it doesn't really buoy you. It doesn't launch you. And what they wanted to do with the shoe was give you a subtle push. As you you push down, you get lifted forward, and they were able to cut these marathon times. I think to sub two or you know whatever it was the record marathon time. Here's my view on that. Listen, what do the what, what do the what do the predominant amount of A level competitors in these cases want? Is I think a very important question. What do the stakeholders of the sport want? The sponsors, the sanctioning organizations, the coaches, or whoever else. What do all these folks want? If 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 the majority of the swimming community doesn't want one of these suits as part of your official world championships, Olympic qualifiers, the kinds of things that really matter for the medals in that system that matter, I think that's I you know, I, I'm not really opposed to that. Like people should get what they want. I think the the argument that I keep making to people and I, I'm trying to get them to understand is it is a total lie that what everybody wants is a what we have now where it's this prohibition um it's this prohibition of uh doping or mechanical doping in whatever form in every case and to me that just seems absurd it just seems totally absurd like dude is there not again i don't know what role it has in running but at some point, like, dude, humans are not going to stop driving this technology. It's not going to happen. Now, you can get to certain places where the rules stop innovation in a meaningful way. I'll give you an example. You know, a wood bat in baseball is hardly your optimal uh, substance to hit the baseball the furthest. You could obviously use a metal bat, but they don't do that. They outlaw that because if everyone had metal bats you get to a situation where, um, you know, you're just, it's just fucking constant home runs at the, at the professional level. You can wear, you can use metal bats, I believe at the collegiate level, but certainly not at the, uh, pro level, right? Same with sort of the suits, you dial back some of that technology, you codify it, and then you let it just sort of be what it is. There, there's, there's room for that. But dude, if somebody wanted to have a race, um, where, the competitors were allowed to wear those kinds of things and everybody knew that like you entered the race upon those conditions why shouldn't there be if somebody wants to go through the trouble of staging a marathon where you can wear whatever shoes you want to wear why not why not if they if it doesn't count towards ultimate marathon like i think for example like there's marathons you can just sign up for and there's marathons you have to qualify for if it doesn't serve any of those purposes to give you any points towards qualifications, towards real marathons, you know, you're probably not going to get a lot of people who really matter in it, at least at first or whatever. Or maybe it ends up being a big success. But my whole point is this is competition in the marketplace. And to be a Luddite and just say I'm anti-technology, fine, man. Like there are certain games where you want to preserve the game. The game was created at a certain time within human, the scope of human innovation. And it meant to be uh, work a certain way. Fine, fine. I understand all that, but um, just saying nobody else can do anything with it—that seems absurd to me. What if I am a billionaire and I want to create a bike race, and I don't give a shit if you have whatever uh, doping or mechanical doping, and I'll pay to see who just whoever can you know do the best. And obviously, there's some health screens along the way, so this is not totally out of order. 
I don't under I, I it, it, no one can make the case to me in a very coherent way what the problem with this is. Oh, it's unsafe for athletes, motherfucker. The Tour de France is unsafe for athletes. There is nothing about elite professional sports that has fuck all to do with health and safety. <laughs> American football is not about health and safety. American baseball is not about health and safety. But at the professional level, you know, the professional hockey at the highest level is not about health and safety. You have to have health and safety protocols to make it palatable. But, you know, what those guys do to themselves, what everyone does to themselves, you know, this is not like, dude, if you exercise more, assuming you're actually exercising, if you're exercising more than five hours a week, you're doing it for training purposes, not health purposes. Five hours a week for most people is just about all you need. Anything more than that is, I'm not going to say it doesn't carry necessarily any health benefits. It probably carries a lot of health benefits. But I'm just sort of pointing out for the average person for most health needs, obviously people are going to be different. For, I'll say that. For most health needs, you don't need a whole lot. So professional sports at the highest, 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 highest level, it's not about any of these things. It's it, it, Boxing is about health and safety. MMA is about health and safety. It's the exact opposite. It's about the destruction of human beings. That is, that's what drives it. Um, so we dress it up in this language because the athletes have to get into insane shape often, strength or speed or cardiovascular or whatever, um, to do those tasks. And obviously at a team level, you know, growing up, yes, intramural sports, high school sports, obviously even some sports beyond that can, can carry some, um, certainly uh, adult level sports can carry a significant level of um, community health an enormous benefit. I'm just pointing out at the highest, highest level. That's not about health and safety, dude. It's not. You can you can tell yourself it is. It's not. It's got fuck all to do with that. It's about entertainment. It's about money. It's about fun. It's about blah. And it's just certain requirements that we put on the athletes to, to give us that. But it's not principally about that. Not at all. This is not Pierre de Coubertin's bullshit. That's not what we're doing here. So... To that point, it's like, we're just going to say no one else can make use of these things? And like, dude, every time someone does make use of them, like when they had someone run a marathon in those shoes, it's of course fucking electric to watch. Yeah, no shit, dude. <laughs> Sports with doping and mechanical doping, I'm not going to say always, but I'm going to bet in general are just far more entertaining. People are doing much more interesting shit. You know. I don't know if you're going to hear that on ESPN or in Sports Illustrated anytime soon, but it is, I mean, it seems obviously true. So if people don't want that in their activities and there's a way to sort that, I think their wishes should be respected, generally speaking. But if there's somebody who doesn't give a fuck about any of these stupid hangups like me and has the money to do them, not like me, <laughs> like Lorenzo Fertitta, they should. Look what has been bigger for the UFC. Their partnership with ESPN or their partnership with Manscaped. So the fans can hear our favorite MMA personalities talk about their disgusting, untrimmed, probably crab-infested genitals. Yes. Um, I'm going to say it's Manscaped. Thoughts on translators' roles in promoting a fight. Personally, I think Figgy benefits a lot from um, Valid. Talking about Valid Ismail. Uh, Ismail. Serving as both his translator and mouthpiece character to build up fights. Yeah, it can be very important, but it can cut both ways. There's a lot of times, man, you'll hear some of these Spanish speakers, or these, these, these in boxing, this is more common in boxing, but someone will say something and, and there'll be a little bit of nuance to it. 
and you'll routinely hear the translator be like, yeah, he had a good camp and he was excited about the fight. I'm like, motherfucker, that ain't what he said. That is not what he said. So they can sometimes undercut you and make you look even worse. What you're talking about is the opposite, where the person says something boring and then someone else jacks it up. My rule on that is um, if, if the fighter and whoever is jacking up the language have an understanding that the person who's jacking up the language is going to do that on their behalf and they know that and they kind of trust them, I don't really think it's a problem. If they're just doing it and then the person's like, dude, I didn't say that shit, that's unethical. Right? It's unethical. But if they have an arrangement... Look, I've been getting the sense from you lately that you might be conflicted in terms of your love for MMA versus the toll it takes on fighters. As someone who is experiencing that as well, how do you reconcile the two? Um, I do feel... Um, is this why you're so strong on fighter pay? I know you've always been an advocate, um, but it seems like you've made a point to speak on it more lately. I do feel like people saying they are adults who signed up for this while true is a bit of a cop-out. Dude, do you know what things people... In, in in a not explicitly coerced way will sign up to do people act like that's some kind of fucking argument <laughs> dude he, he signed up for it okay man at some point if he wasn't compelled you have to respect the agency of it but people acting that like well because they do this on mass there must be some kind of wisdom behind it dude people will sign up repeatedly like not just one time and like oh i made a mistake i'll never do this again People will sign up for all kinds of situations that are bad for them. All kinds of situations that are bad for them. And they'll do it over and over and over and over and over again. I love that, like, oh, well, you know, they, they're they adults who signed up for this. So what, dude? People will sign up for all kinds of desperate shit in, in bad situations. And, and coercion, like, what does coercion mean? All right, there's a gun to your fucking head. There's, a, there's some coercion. All right, we can all agree that's pretty bad. But what about the kind of coercion where you just, you know, you enter into a world where there's people infinitely more powerful than you. You have no real means by yourself of adjusting any of this. They put paperwork in front of you. What the fuck are you going to do? You're going to fight this? You're in no position to fight this. It's just going to be what it's going to be. Is that coercion? Right? So, you know, any kind of these situations, people, you get into these discussions with free will conversations. This happens a lot. Like, what is coercion? What is, what is, um, you know, what is choice? What, what do, do people inherently seek um, situations that are good for themselves and whatnot? I'm just sort of pointing out, like, yeah, fighters sign contracts. Dude, these contracts could be significantly worse, and I think most of these fighters would still sign up for it, not even happily. Like, if the situation just deteriorated, they would still sign up for them because th this is ultimately something that is good for them, maybe in certain situations, and a lot of them it wouldn't be. And, and, and do they like everything in this contract? No, but they don't have a fucking choice. Right? They don't have a choice. So, you know, this idea about like, well, fighters signed up for this. It's like, dude, they didn't sign up for it in a world where they're able to fully maximize their interests. What does that world look like? You know, where we, we, we respect the interests of the promoters and all the other stakeholders, ESPN, right? But now we're going to, within that framework, maximize the fighter interest. What does that look like? Let me give you an example. Today, there was this announcement, all right, I think Aaron Bronstetter tweeted about it. It's all good news. In fact, let me pull it up here real quickly, if I may. Um, where is that? <laughs> ah, here we go. Per the UFC, athletes will receive 50% of the UFC share of revenue from NFT sales. 
including secondary sales. Example, an NFT featuring Nganu scoring a KO over an opponent is sold, and Nganu and the opponent will split the 50% of the UFC share of that sale. Right, so 25-25. Um, so there you go. This is my point. Like, this is not bad news. Did I get that right? And the opponent will split the 50% of the UFC share of that sale. Yeah, okay. So they get 25-25. Uh, oh, wait. No, I guess of the UFC's 50%. So what the UFC takes, they'll... As I understand that's 25-25. I don't know. I, the it's wording is unclear. Are they going to get a portion of whatever the UFC pulls? And the UFC will then split that or what is he saying UFC pulls and then it's 25-25 so it's 50-25-25 I'm going to operate under the assumption although the writing is slightly unclear that it's 50-25-25 let's assume for for that or whatever you know oh I see what he means that the UFC would get some of that because whoever else they're doing this with Dapper Labs would also take a cut alright whatever the point being is this however uh, generous you assume this act to be Imagine how much better it would be if I'm going to give us an example. If in a fully um, maximized situation, again, that wouldn't be running over UFC. You'd have to respect it. But like, how much better would a deal have been for the fighters if the union had negotiated it? I actually am a little bit worried about stuff like this, if I can be candid with you for a moment. None of this is bad. None of this is bad. This is all good. This is a... This is a this is more money in more ways in new ways than ever before. How is that bad? What is alarming and worrying about it is not that I think that a union is imminent hardly, but that I fear that a union will be forever impossible and you will force advocates into the arms of pro Ali Act people because this will reward fighters more, not so much just NFT sales, but like this sort of new frontier of um, the UFC adjusting their pay a little bit in some of these mechanisms, that, they, that there might be just enough extra for, for some of them that, again, in conjunction with other moves the UFC might make to share rev, that fighters just be like, you know what, do we even really need a union? When if they had one, what they whatever they would get would be a market improvement over what they even actually have, even with UFC generosity. This is not what a union arguing on their behalf would ultimately pull in. I mean, this is literally the first offer, right? You fighters have to take it because that's just what it is. But if they went to the union with this, you'd be like, right, okay, this is a great starting point. Let's figure out what else we can do. Um, so for those reasons, it's not as great a situation. Now, to your point... I know you've always been an advocate for fighter pay. Um, oh, sorry. How do I reconcile the two? I, I, The only thing that has changed my view on this a little bit is just sort of getting a little bit older. Remember, I started... Okay, as a teenager, I got introduced to UFC even at early years, 13, 14, and then started covering it uh, more seriously uh, as a hobbyist in my mid-20s. And then went full-time by my late 20s, early 30s. And then had the whole decade plus of living and everything else. And, you know, all that time I was in college, military, training independently. 
Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because now I am 42 and now feeling good does not come automatic. And a lot of the decisions that I have made in my own just ordinary life, certainly not as a pro fighter or even as an athlete in any kind of serious way whatsoever, um, all of that shit is now coming due for me as well. I don't have any head trauma like that, but um, I've got tons of uh, ligament uh, joint damage uh, that is... That is, those chickens are coming home to roost. And the injuries I acquired through training, I can't fix them. I mean, like, they're not painful in the sense that they limit me. But I've told you guys this before. I got wrist locked a long time ago, and I never thought, fuck all about it. And, dude, I can't. If that bar gets, like, I can lift well beyond 300. But at 300, I have to wear, I have to wear a brace on my wrist because the pain is excruciating and it creates this imbalance because I don't want to wear one on my right. Like I'm not trying to hit max, max, max where that kind of thing is normal. Like I didn't realize how fucked my wrist was until the first time I, I got a, under a heavy load on the bar. It was excruciating. It won't go away. Now this is a minor thing and I figured out a solution. I'm not asking you to cry tears for me, but I'm saying, well, wait a second. Imagine you actually have serious injuries that you have recovered from, but you know, like what Chris Weidman has do. What is going to happen when you hit 41, 42? How are they going to feel? Fuck 41, 42. What about 47, 51, 56, 60, 65, right? How, what's going to happen to their, it's going to go, their quality of life is going to fucking deteriorate. It's going to fall off a cliff. It's going to fall off a cliff. And... On top of that, like, how much is their insurance going to cost at their next job? Like, dude, if I was them, I would, I would almost try to get a Joe job afterwards for the insurance. Like, if you have to pay for your own insurance as a fighter after the fact, like, I want to stay in the fight world. I'm going to be a contractor. I'll take a gig here, a gig here, a gig here. I'll do a podcast here, that kind of a thing, which might end up being quite financially lucrative, but you don't have that assurance of insurance that comes with the job. And by the way, one of the failures of this country, quite profoundly, is tying insurance to employment. They should be bifurcated and split, but okay, that's a separate discussion for a separate time. But as it stands, if you really want good insurance in this country, basically you have to have a job and a, and a full-time job at that, which is insane. Uh, and who's going to pay for that if he doesn't get one of those jobs? Like, even if you have a lot of money, dude, that's going to cost you a fuck ton of money later in life. Significant money later in life. Dude, <laughs> your youthful understanding of not merely your mortality, but your frailty is so skewed at 25 and even 35, it's fucking skewed. Man, I got to tell you, in the last few years, it has been a wake-up call. It has been a way... I crossed 40 and it was like... Everything began to just sort of slowly come apart. And everyone's going to be different, dude. Look at you, old Romero. Who got, he's probably 75. Just the most amazing genetics on earth, you know. But, but I'm just trying to point out, as a general rule, it's been really kind of eating at me because as I'm getting older and then living with some of these things that have happened to me in the most ordinary of ways, I can only imagine what will happen to them. And it, and it legitimately worries me. It legitimately. I don't know how they're going to pay for medical care when they're older, unless the laws change or they get lucky. The take every loss as a lesson mentality takes a lot of humility and introspectiveness. Will Chikazi be able to improve from this loss after hearing his post-fight comment that he would be cater nine times out of ten? Only time will tell. 
I'd like to think so. I'm I'm sure that he look, dude. Fighters, it's on on one day it's delusion, on the other day it's their grand vision, and the space in between can be so 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 small. Um, he probably is still filled with the confidence that you have to have to be a prize fighter, which is why he said what he said. He has this extraordinary belief in himself. I would want to still kind of see that. Uh, but he is with Rafael Cordero. Rafael Cordero is quite bright. He is quite experienced. He is probably going to see some things and go, hmm, let's work on some of that for you. So whether or not Chikadze takes it upon himself to listen and whatnot, I guess time will tell. But from people who have coached him, they seem to like him. They seem to think he is quite coachable. I would argue that his improvement since coming to the UFC has been extraordinary. So... He's on the right path. He just met someone in the course of that path who was a little bit ahead of him. Quite a bit ahead of him. But um, there's plenty of reason to think that there's a lot of room for improvement here. Luke, when MK does eventually come to an end, what do you foresee being its ultimate downfall and why is it BC's rapidly inflating ego? <laughs> no, he's all right. He's doing well, man. You know, he should be proud of himself. He got that gig on Showbox and... He killed. Do you guys watch it? You should go and see BC's first showbox gig. Uh, it's good. Dude, he talks more than anybody else on that broadcast. It's amazing. Like, every time they throw to a graphic, BC's the one talking it through. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I guess Barry will do tail of the tape. But then, you know, all the other shit. Dude, I'm telling you, it's amazing. He 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 really did quite well for himself. Obviously, he's been doing commentary and boxing for some time. This is not his first gig, hardly that at all. But, um, dude, I mean, he's been in the trenches. He should be proud of himself. So yeah, you know, he's big for his britches these days. But you got to be happy for the guy. So thoughts on rising housing prices throughout the USA. Florida's rising housing, I about this yesterday, Arizona is a similar situation. I know very little um, about the technical aspects of this issue. Some say it's due to wages staying stagnant. That's part of it. Could you see this leading to another 2008-esque housing market collapse? Just a donk asking questions. How about that satire article going over? Yeah, that's funny. Fucking Jesus. Some of the people. In... Um, okay. Did you guys see how many people are moving to Austin, Texas every day on average? On average, right? Because they don't actually know how many are moving a day, but on average, 180 a day. 180 people are moving to Austin, Texas a day. Their housing prices in 10 years have doubled. And it's only going to go up. Dude, <laughs> I'm in the process of considering a move uh, as well. Probably within the city itself. I might move to a different part of it. Dude, you should see the housing prices here. My, I have a neighbor. Let's see. One, two, two, two and a half blocks that way. So you go to the end of my block and then walk two more blocks. I mean, you can see their house if you walk outside the front of mine. But right there. Their house is uh, not big. I think it was like... 1300 no 1300 square feet and some change so not like tiny but not some fucking mansion um ass like you could do a putting green on it kind of a thing and it sold for 870k after five days on the market for 1300 square feet 
and like, dude, you you would you'd walk by the outside of it and you'd be like, it's not that nice. The housing prices are out of control, and you know what's funny? This is why when people are like, oh my god, you're such a far leftist. I'm like, dude, you 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 don't know what a far leftist is. I with with some exception, obviously, but in cases like let's say L.A., uh, Chicago, New York, D.C., where the governments are explicitly and only um, left wing and have been for decades. Who is there to blame for high housing prices but the failure of their policies? Right? I mean, who are you going to blame? Who are you going to blame in Washington, D.C. for high housing prices? You know, uh, that to the point where I don't, there is some rising data that uh, pegs homelessness to rising housing costs. I know there is some pushback on that. I certainly don't know enough about the situation to say whether it's true or not. I can tell you that when I was a kid, homeless, homelessness was a problem in D.C. I've never seen it like the way it is now. If you go outside in front of Union Station, which is this grand, giant, regal, beautiful train station. Truly, it is, it is a beautiful train station at the front and middle parts of it. It's just spectacular. There's a giant homeless encampment out in the front of it. I've, I've just never seen that before. Now, I will say that part of the good news is... Um, the city here in particular is taking on uh, an effort to to find them permanent housing. There have been some it's there's some controversy about it, but they are actively working on on that. Okay, so what is the major reason for a lot of these problems, including in these blue cities or in blue states? Even the issue is you have a lot of incredibly hypocritical uh, liberals, basically, who have decided that what they don't want to do is create enough um, multi-use projects essentially they, they all of them want single family homes or something approximating that which keeps density low and it keeps their prices artificially high and it reduces economic mobility and uh, it does create in certain cases obviously a, a much greater tax windfall for the city depending on the city and the, and the situation but that is the source of it they don't want to create affordable housing they don't want to create apartment complexes where a lot of people could live um, they want to create situations where everyone has a home a yard and a driveway a home a yard and a driveway and look there are going to be parts of the country where you can get away with that this sort of single family suburban development but in in a lot of places um you can't actually build. And by the way, this is why America can't build shit, right? Why, why don't we, in my part of the woods, why don't we have a purple line in the city? Like, dude, there are so many people who will obstruct any time any government entity uh, wants to act in a way to build highways, to build rails, to, to build any kind of infrastructure for transportation or anything else like that. And you're talking about housing here, you know, banks don't want to give loans to uh, a builder for affordable housing because they could get much more on a loan for luxury housing. So now the government you're relying on to create rules that dictate how much have to be affordable versus non-affordable, it's a giant fucking problem. It's a huge problem. And there is one more at the center of it, which is, dude, this is not a country with a great safety net. I just told you, if you want health insurance, you need to have a job and basically a full-time job to get it. And even then, you're not going to be that great and there's going to be a lot of other costs that go away with it. But that's, that's you really have to have that. Um, there's no real 
safety net. And I know everyone on Instagram is into hustle culture. I know all of you are into, you know, Horatio Alger stories. And that's fine, man. Like, dude, I hope if even if you don't agree with a single one of my political views, I hope you can at least appreciate the fact that we both agree that, hey, man, hard work is important. And I've worked very hard in my life. I've worked, you know, I'm sure people worked a million times harder. But dude, I've been having to I've been working since I was 13 years old. Most of my life, I've had two jobs when I was able to even in school. I've all I've been working my ass off, man. You know, like I believe in hard work. I believe in hustle. I believe in all of that. I believe in it. But dude, the reality is, we live in a place that doesn't take care of people uh, very well as they age or when they get poor. And so we have put in this country at the center of prosperity and your 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 life as a way to take care of yourself when you're older, either as a financial nest egg or as a resting place when you don't have a job or whatever. Home ownership. Home ownership is the most like important thing to an American over anything. And I own my home. I like owning my home. Home ownership is a great thing. But it has been beaten into our heads to the point where now you're seeing rich liberals in all of these cities across the country who have finally gotten their home. They're probably middle class in a lot of cases. Sometimes they're very, uh, sometimes they're rich, like in Palo Alto. But like, you know, in a lot of other places, sort of, you know, upper, upper middle class or middle class. And they don't have a safety net like when when this is all over. So they have they gotta they gotta get their property value as high as possible. They gotta hold on to it the longest, right? No turnover. And they don't want anyone they don't want anyone else, any developer in their neighborhood building multi-use projects. And so on this goes. And dude, I, I when I landed in Tampa, the guy who picked me up at the 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 taxi driver at the airport, he was uh he was like, dude, Tampa is fucking booming. And there were cranes everywhere in the sky. Listen, as long as the city down in Florida and Tampa is building a lot of, um, which it just sounds like they're not, but if they can find a way to get to a point where they're building a lot of apartment complexes, multi-use, you know, high-density kind of stuff, the prices can remain relatively low or lower than what they ordinarily would be. But, dude, you've got, you, you just don't understand. Americans have it beaten into their head. High-value home ownership not letting go of my home. This is what will take care of me later in life. I must do this. There are and and now you have equipped laws like these NIMBY laws that don't allow the state or developers the kind of flexibility they need to put these projects into these places. And what happens? Home prices go through the fucking roof, and people can't buy homes. <laughs> it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Um, we'll see who figures it out. Um, let's say you were in Francis's shoes and your goal is to transition to boxing for a payday. What kind of fuckery would you do to ensure that this is your last fight in the UFC? I don't know. You would just walk out or something, you know, just leave, just, just jump the top and be like, fucking I'm, I'm out. Is there a certain kind of style of tattooing you like more than others? Every style has its own. Um, it's I, I. I don't know that I have one style that I like to view more than the other. Like if a tattoo is good, I really don't care what kind it is. You know. If you're asking me what I'm probably going to put on my body from here on out, I would largely say Japanese or American, Japanese traditional or American traditional. Um, they're just timeless. You know, 
they're just timeless. Like if you got a barbed wire, everyone's like, oh, you got that in the '90s because you're a fucking idiot. If you get a, a sleeve, assuming you did it properly and you know all that kind of stuff, and it's Japanese, and uh, you know you, people still may or may not like it or call you whatever names, but they won't necessarily be able to tell like in what era of the 20th or 21st century you got it, you know. If Brandon wins this Saturday, what should Devison Figueredo's next move be? Bantamweight? Yeah. 34, move up. Do you think since the WME purchase, the UFC has bled talent to save money more than ever in the Monopoly era? No. Not at all. We'll see what happens with Chukagian. I doubt they paid her a lot, but it, it is a little bit alarming to see someone that good potentially let go while winning. But I guess we'll see. Hi, Luke. Any concerns of being critical of fighters coming back to haunt you when face-to-face? -face? Not exactly. I mean, the thing is this. If I was out there just, like, intentionally throwing flames, maybe I'd be a little bit more concerned. And, yeah, I guess you you never know, you know? Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe, like, figure out whether John Jones likes you before you ask him a question at a press conference. But, um, but I mean, I think the reality is this, dude. Like, I've kind of come to a place. I had the joy. I don't know if I've ever told anybody this. I've had the joy of um, talking to or doing interviews as part of my job. I've had the joy of that beaten out of me the last few years, um, which is why I haven't really. I don't really do them hardly anymore. I don't really enjoy them. I've, I've found that the process of securing them and you know the artificialness of it all it didn't really work for me. Um, I'm happy to do them under different circumstances, but that whole dog and pony shit, I don't really care about it anymore, you know? Um, so I'm at a place now where I'm not, I think if you just go out of your way where you try, listen, have I always been right in my analysis of fighters? Like when they have a gripe about what I say, they might be right, you know? Like I, I can't, obviously I'm sure I've been wrong, you know, a lot actually. Uh, and that can't be easy, but... I can't guarantee anybody that I can be right all the time, quite quite obviously. And I can't even guarantee that I'm going to give you information that you want to hear all the time. But what I try to do, I, what I try to do, I think if you, if you try to be as friendly as you can, if you try to be as understanding of someone's situation as you can, if you try to be as um, un understanding of the difficulties and their humanity as you can, and... You're honest with the audience as well. I, I don't know what else you're supposed to do. I, I don't know what else I'm supposed to do, man. Honestly, I really don't. I can't guarantee being right, so that's not something I can offer any fighter, you know? Um, I just try to be honest with myself about my own limits. I try to be honest about what I've seen to the audience so that we can share in this experience in a transparent and hopefully enjoyable way I try I just I just try to do my homework so that I don't leave stones unturned again I'm gonna get that wrong at times too if you're me and you try to do those things and again sometimes you're like I, I could have done a better job there's been times where I'm like I don't know what the fuck else I was supposed to do here and they just won't they don't want to talk or they don't like you or whatever like I don't know what I'm supposed to do about that honestly like man do I want to be like you know somebody that a bunch of fighters don't like no I don't want to do that I don't I don't like <laughs> I don't have some desire to wake up and be the rebel of the industry or some stupid shit like that I don't 
not that anyone necessarily has imagined that, but I'm just trying to get you to understand like where my head. I don't, I don't want that. But at the same time, here's what I do want. I do want over time enough people to be like, hey, he's good at his job. Like he, he, he did, he's good at his job. Like I get value out of that. And if 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 I'm doing it in a humane, trying to be humane, trying to be erudite, and trying to be transparent with the audience. I don't know what else I'm supposed to do at that point. Like, people don't like it. People just don't fucking like it. I, sorry. You know? I, be tougher? I mean, I'm not sure what to say. Like, you know, uh, I, it, I, I, can't, I can't make it any... If I'm any nicer, then I'm not being truthful. And if I'm any more accommodating of people's failures in terms of how I describe them, if I'm doing it any more than I'm already doing, you know, I don't know how truthful I'm being. And, you know, look, man, I'm happy to have fun up here. I'm happy to do goofy shit like we do when we do, like, the high court thing, you know? I'm happy to do all of that. I really am. It's fun. I just can't get up here and then just say shit I don't believe. And so, you know, put yourself in my shoes, man. What would you do? Some people in this industry just kind of swallow it and are like, I just, just won't give my opinion and I'll get all the interviews. And and then some people can, you know, carve their own path or whatever. But I've not been the guy who, for some reason, man, you know, a lot of people get pissed. Um, I'm sorry about that. It's not intentional. I don't like it. I don't think it's good. But I'm out of ideas on how it's supposed to be different. Give a grade of Joe Biden <laughs> his first year as president. Oh, I don't know. Not a, not a good one. Um, Jesus. Not a good one. Would I give him an F? I'd give him an F, but... What's the lowest passing grade? You, I mean, I, I mean, it's bad. It's not good. He's fucking... He fucking sucks. I mean, you want me to say that? Like, he fucking sucks. It's not hard for me to say that. I mean... You know, if he loses the next election, I don't have to worry about whether or not he will peacefully transfer power. That's about the only nice thing I can say about him. I don't like him. Thoughts on coaches in the spotlight. Lopez has definitely, Fernand Lopez, has definitely been a big story in the upcoming fight. Does this help hurt gone or no change? I don't think it hurts gone. He doesn't seem to be affected by it in any way. You know, if at some point if they're creating issues and difficulty and they're making the other fighter's job more difficult, we could say something. But how does Masvidal beat Colby? Given the fact that they have trained together and from the footage seen, it seems Colby handled him very well. Is there any obvious weakness that Colby has like Masvidal has with the wrestling? First of all, I don't know where this came from that Masvidal is a bad wrestler. Masvidal is not a bad wrestler. I mean, he's not going to out-wrestle Colby. Okay, fine. fine. Colby's going to out-wrestle him pretty easily probably. But that doesn't mean Colby's or uh, that Masvidal is a bad wrestler. I wouldn't say wrestling is his best asset. Jorge Masvidal is good at everything. He is good at everything. He is not a bad wrestler by any stretch of the imagination. He probably doesn't have enough to handle Colby. Uh, I agree with that. But I just, you know, like, oh, well, he's not, you know, he can't wrestle all that well. Yes, he can. 
It's just that Colby is fucking awesome at it, you know. So how can Masvidal beat Colby? Honestly, I don't really know. Um, Colby would have to, probably have to make a mistake, candidly, which in MMA can happen, you know. I watched Jacare versus Musasi in Dream, you know, so it can happen. Um, stand on the feet too long, make a mistake on top, um, play games, clown. But if he's diligent in his face and, and securing takedowns, it's going to be real tough for Masvidal to win. <laughs> Should I tell this one? Fuck, man. Luke, do you have any more funny stories about your more rowdy days? Should I tell this one? This is one I've never told. BC knows this story. I told BC this story. Maybe I told you guys this. I I, I, I may have even told this on room service diaries or something. I don't know. You know what? I will tell it now because it's been long enough. There was this guy who I knew in the Marine Corps. Um, I was... Was I out at this point? I was either out or just about to get out of the Marine Corps. This is like 2005. And I got out in 2005. So, um, just right around that time. I had a buddy. He was, I won't say what he was. I served with him. I won't say where because I don't want this getting back to him. Um, he, I, I'm told that he's living the straight and narrow now. Let me assure you he was not back when I knew him. So I'll just say I served with him at one point. This dude calls me up out of nowhere on like a Tuesday night. I think I, some of you might know this. Like a Tuesday or Wednesday. It was a weekday. Let's put it that way. And if, if you've heard it, it's cool. If not, let me just get through it. This dude calls me up. And um, he had, like, I knew guys who did several tours in Iraq. This guy volunteered, I know, for at least two. Just a fucking maniac. Just a maniac. Like, I remember when they first invaded, he was trying to find ways to get over there. Just a complete, total. And uh, he had just gotten back. The reason why he liked it is, one, he was a maniac. And two, the other part was, for folks who may not know, when you sign up for some of these duties or you get, you get even um, assigned to them by whoever, you, you can get hazardous duty pay. So like a buddy of mine, not this one, a different one, went to Iraq for, I want to say, 18 months. And he was an officer, so he wasn't enlisted. This is not your average Joe. These are one of the ones that went to college. But he came back with 60 k just sitting in his account that he didn't even touch. You know what I mean? Because all the extra pay. So he got his regular pay plus hazardous duty pay. He's in Iraq. I mean, he can spend it at the commissary but or the PX or whatever, but not really, right? So, um, so he went home. He had fucking 60 k sitting in his bank account, right? So these guys would do that. So he, he he volunteered to go to Iraq. He finished a year-long tour. He gets back. He was in town for something. And he calls me up on a random, like, Tuesday or Wednesday. I answer the phone. He's he's obviously drunk, you know. And he's like, hey, <laughs> I just got back from Iraq. I'm drunk. I'm downtown. And that's what he said. He goes, I want to see some fucking titties. <laughs> he's like, come out with me. I'm like, dude, I don't really want to do this, blah, blah, blah. He's like, quit being a fucking bitch. Come out. I'm like, all right, man. So, you know, I go and I meet him downtown. I show up, dude. He is fucking lit. I mean, he is he is three sheets to the 
wind at this point. And so I'm like, wow, this has instantly gone from a situation where like I'm going to meet up and have beers with a friend, you know, strip club or whatever. I'm going to have beers with a friend. And now it's like, I'm going to have to chaperone this fucking guy. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm here. So let's go. So, and I'm stone sober. I haven't had anything. So we go to uh, one of the strip clubs uh, here in the city. And um, we're not in this place more than 30 seconds before a minute or whatever until some guy grabs me by the collar, this giant bouncer. And I turn around, I'm like, dude, I haven't even done anything. He's like, you and your friend got to fucking go. And we get out, he's like, and the, the bouncer was like, yo, you need to talk to your fucking friend, man. And I'm like, dude, what did you do? I'm not going to sugarcoat this, man. I'm going to tell you what he said. Uh, he was like, she got mad because I was handsy. I'm like, okay. A cocktail waitress walks by and he grabs her by the arm. First of all, don't do that shit. Don't grab a fucking cock. Don't grab a woman by the arm, period. And number two, like she's doing like leave her alone. <laughs> he says to her, unbeknownst to me, because I'm I was in front of him when we walked. He says to her, um, we're looking for a good time tonight. And she kind of I'm told after the fact, she kind of gave him one of these looks like, what? And he goes, Oh, I'm sorry. You misunderstood me. We're looking for a good time tonight. And then he proceeds, I can't even tell you what he calls her. He calls her a name. Not a good name. A very, 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 very bad name. She, like, pulls her arm away uh, and then goes and tells the bouncer. And then, sure enough, he went and collected me. And I'm like, well, what the fuck? I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, fuck those motherfuckers. They don't know shit. He had, like, a wad of cash. He was ready for this, you know, like a giant um, thing. We went to... Another nearby strip club. That incident ended up being fine. But he had his cash in like uh, uh, like all in these like rubber bands and in this like fanny pack almost. He leaves it there unbeknownst to us at the time. I don't know how many thousands he lost, but it was a lot. So we get into the car because he wants to go to a different part of town. And I'm like, okay. I mean, it started off badly, but maybe we're, again, I don't know that he's lost the money at this point. So he gets into the car, and this was, like, again, 2005. You don't see as much, like, naked prostitution in the city. In fact, you almost never see it at all anymore. But back around, like, the aughts, it was, like, the last... When I was a kid, prostitution was everywhere here. In the aughts, there was, like, the last vestiges of it. You can't, the, the, the place where he took us to at the time, you couldn't do it anymore. But there's this park near K Street where he, take, he tells the cab driver to go to, and he picks up... I'm not fucking exaggerating... He picks up two prostitutes off the street. One gets in the backyard, one or by the back seat, one gets in the front seat. And now, dude, these are obvious prostitutes, okay? So now there's one, two, five of us in the car. Now I'm like, dude, what is, why are we doing this? Dude, he tells the cab driver to take us to the, the hotel where he was staying, which mercifully was still within city limits. I was like, thank God, all right? He is, as we're driving on like Constitution Avenue, passing the White House and everything, he's negotiating with these two uh, hookers prices. Like, all right, so how much for me to bang you from behind while she watches? Or if you suck my friend, I mean, like the most graphic conversation you've ever heard in your life. I'm sitting there being like, dude, where the fuck am I? An hour ago... I, like I was at home and now we're doing this shit. Like what, what is, 
where am I? What is happening here? And dude, we're talking like you could see the cab driver is getting visibly uncomfortable. He's like, what the fuck? You know? So he's negotiating all this shit. And I'm just going like, dude, no, 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 no. I'm like not interested. Like I'm cool, blah, blah, blah. I was single at the time, but I just was, I didn't want any part of this. Okay. Finally, we arrive at his hotel and I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, what am I going to do? I'm not banging these fucking prostitutes. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. But I don't want my man to just like, I don't know what to do. So we get into the lobby and they go, hey, we're not going upstairs until you show us your money. And he's like, oh, don't worry, I got it. And he doesn't have his fucking money. Okay. Now, he didn't noodle that he had lost all that money at that time. In fact, he's like, oh, don't worry. I still have my uh, ATM card. So he's like fishing for his ATM card. It was cold as shit. Um, this was like in, like in the winter months or whatever. And it was obviously at night. And uh, so he's reaching for his like his debit card and something just hit me out of nowhere. Like this moment of inspiration, some voice in my head just goes, now's your chance. Now's your chance. Right. Cause we we're in the lobby. We're in with these two prostitutes. He just quite literally picked up off the fucking street. And uh, he has negotiated a transaction with him. All that is missing from here is the cash. And I don't want to be here. And you know, look, man, that guy even had a wife and kid at that time. Like, you know, I'm not trying to fuck with his marriage, but he obviously had his own issues. I'm out. So I said to him, like, you know what, dude? Hang on. I know there's an ATM around the corner. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, get money for us. He goes, oh, you're awesome. I go, I'll be right back. So I walk out of the uh, the lobby. I hang a right. And then I get out of the, like, the line of sight of the lobby. And then I just proceed to fucking full-on sprint. I'm just going, dude. Woof, 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 woof. And uh, I finally, I finally, um, I'm, I'm at the point where the, the hotel ended up being where the now the ballpark is or near the ballpark. So I ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and ran. I finally found my way to Independence Avenue. Um, and I, I hailed a, a cab and they picked me up. This is pretty late at this point. Um. So I'm in the cab and then my phone rings and it's him. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm not fucking answering this, man. I'm sorry to do this to this fucking guy, but like he he wrote me into some shit that I did not sign up for. I'm not I don't know what's happening with his marriage. You know, you're on your own. And then two rings, three rings, four rings, five rings, six rings, seven rings. It must have he must have called me 17 times or something. And the voicemails when I checked them the next day were fucking hilarious. Because the first one is like, hey, man, come on, I'm ready to party, woo. You know, second one gets a little more like, hey, dude, where the fuck are you? You know, come on. And then the next one, it's like, it's like, dude, where the fuck are you? By the time, I think he left like seven messages. By the time you get to the seventh one, he's done cursing me out. He's done yelling at me. He's just like, just, just call me back, man. Just, just fucking call me back. So the next day I called him back and I'm like, dude, what the fuck was that? First of all, he apologized for all that shit. Like, what was that, dude? What were you doing? He's like, dude, I love hookers, blah, blah, blah. He told me his whole story about how he loved hookers. Anyway, but the bigger story about what happened there was those two ladies who he picked up in the cab, they were furious. I mean, they couldn't, be, they were, they were fucking angry. So apparently <laughs> they called their pimp uh, and the pimp showed up. The pimp showed up to the lobby 
And um, he said that the manager was like not taking his back. Like the hotel manager was like, you got to take it outside because they were fucking yelling at him and shit. So he had these two prostitutes in his face dressing him down. He had the pimp dressing him down. And uh, he said he was able to get out of it just by giving him, I don't know if this is true, this is what he tells me, by giving them a fresh pack of cigarettes that he had unopened. That, that was what he got to get them to just walk away, apparently, in the end. So he was like, I'm sorry about that. But uh, he's like, dude, that could have been awesome. That could have been awesome. I'm like, I, uh, we might have somewhat different interpretations of what the word awesome means here. Yeah, that was the Twilight Zone. So if I'm banging you from behind and he's watching, is that another 20? Or we just get the five for that? I'm like, what? <laughs> I just wanted a Miller Lite <laughs> and, and to go to a nude bar, man. I wasn't I wasn't signing up to for this shit. All right. There's one of my great stories. I hope you all liked it. All right, um, if you paid for a question, I will get to it. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Who is in your top 10 best MMA fighters ever list? I've not made one. If we're making a best ever list, it's going to be a lot of modern fighters, which is why I don't feel like making it. If you're asking me like 10 fighters who had an impact on me or who I kind of enjoyed covering, BJ Penn, Brock Lesnar, I'll give Ronda Rousey some credit, Frank Shamrock, Nick Diaz, um, there's been many others, I'm trying to think like exactly who meant a lot. I'll give Israel Adesanya some credit, Max Holloway, um, Khabib. As I think here, like which ones meant the most to me. Um, somewhere like something like that. I mean, I could probably pick two more if I really wanted to, but those are the ones that stand out the most. If Izzy versus Rob 2 goes the distance, am I right to be concerned that we could see a wonky decision akin to Jones-Reyes given Texas's outdated scoring criteria and the styles of both fighters? Yes. Yes. Yes, you could. 1,000% in play. Yes. Do you think Nganu will rush Gone like he did Rosenstrike? No. And if so, how does Gone respond? No. I don't think he does. I think he's going to take his time, at least at first. I'm planning a trip to D.C. in March with my wife. Any spots you recommend outside of normal tourist stuff? If you want... Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool places. Uh, you should go to La Cosecha and Union Market. Two different markets right next to each other, indoors. Um, La Cosecha features like all of Latin America. So they've got like Brazilian food, Venezuelan food, all kinds of cool shit. And then right next door is Union Market, which has like everything, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, give both of those a look. I would say, um, what's some other cool stuff? You know what? Email me. I'll, I'll tell you. Email me. Someone says, this is my contribution to Luke's haircut fund. Yeah, I need one, guy. Shit's expensive around here. Uh, please do John Jones next. <laughs> Debate as to why Jones doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame or is considered the GOAT. Oh, that's a fun one, actually. I like that. 
Uh, if the most athletic fighter with average skill fought the most skilled guy with average athleticism, who would win? Probably the most skilled guy with average athleticism. But it depends. Is Peter Yan the best fighter on earth right now? He might be the most well-rounded. He might. It's hard to say that, but he's fucking good. Do you think Gon could take a hit from Francis? I don't think anyone can take a clean punch from him. But do I think that he could find ways to roll and absorb with stuff? Or get Francis to throw arm punches or something? Yes. What duo is more likely to have five fights? Devison Brandon or Max Volk? Max Volk. Only because Figueredo, they wouldn't make a fourth one right away, would they? No, they might. They might. I still say Max Volk. Do you know the big new MMA prospect? Oh, someone paid two bucks to try and get a joke in. Thanks for the two bucks, you fucking idiot. Do you think this will be a year where champions who haven't made a defense yet will lose their first defense? For example, uh, Nganu, Glover, Aljo, Pena. I'll say this. There's probably going to be a lot of that. Glover for sure. You know, We'll see about the other ones, but um, it's not going to be easy. Just finished Demon Haunted World. BC and the 63% of adults who think dinos and humans walk together as quoted by Sagan notwithstanding... How do you temper any desire you have to bludgeon your tender hearts with skepticism? Be one for life. I'm mostly just dead inside. Someone says, I think you talking about housing prices. Dude, it's like that here in North Carolina as well. People need to stop moving and go somewhere else. No, they need to build more housing. They need to build more housing. Uh, Jay Garcia leaves 20 spot and says, keep up the great work, Devil Dog. Thank you. And Semper Fi to you as well, good sir. Uh, is it fair to say Nick laying down and striking a pose against Anderson is the highlight of his career? No. No. F flipping off Frank Shamrock at the presser was funnier. Well, that's not quite true either. Had a bigger impact. Um, the high court is the best thing MMA has done. Uh, glad you guys like it. Florida has got a lot of hate from various political pundits regarding their handling of COVID. What are your thoughts? Yeah, their COVID handling has not been great. Um, it's there's not been all parts of it that are bad. I think I think um, there was an early part where they were getting killed by people like me that they didn't deserve. But then they've had an extraordinarily high death count um, per capita and 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 aggregately. Um, and you know I think the general handling of COVID in Florida is by the average person is um, quite poor. Um, but, you know, I'm sure a lot of you think that I'm over the top, so you can decide for yourself whether that matters. But, yeah, like, dude, you go to Florida and, like, you know, you just go to a full indoor bar and, like, no one has a mask. It's like, I'm not sure what you guys think is going to happen here if you haven't already had COVID or even then. Uh, so, suerte. Um, although, at this point, I'm sort of, you know, I will get it. Like, I hope everyone understands that. I know that I will get it because uh, the way that my, like, I could probably live the rest of my life the way I live it, and, well, even then I would probably get it, but it would take a lot longer. But with my job, 
I'm going to get it. Like, it's just, it's just inevitable. I'm not really concerned about that. It's just my daughter. That's all. My daughter's, you know, she's unvaxxed. She's five. We don't know shit about this thing. I'm just worried about that. I hope, I hope folks can understand me being worried about my daughter. That's some, I think I'd be fine, but my daughter, and she'll probably be fine too, but you know, I don't want to play those odds if I don't have to, right? That's it. That's all. Okay. Thank you guys for watching this. Now, one note of information. I have looked at many places to move into a studio. Thought I'd be ready by February 1st. Seriously doubt that's going to be the case. Um, it is much more likely to happen probably 1st of March. But I have seen a bunch of spots and they're great. Um, it's a good problem to have. <laughs> There's so much, like, I don't know where you all live, but if you live in any kind of major metropolitan area that was affected by COVID and now they've got all this these these offices that no one is using like it's a good time if you need an office to go get one if you if that situation sounds like a place where you live um so go check them out all right guys thank you so much for watching i genuinely appreciate it and um i'll have a post fight show for you guys on saturday and then hopefully some interesting stuff for you guys next week too um until next time thank you so much for watching